This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create a professional website, blog, portfolio, or an online store. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase on new accounts, go to squarespace.com slash trek and use offer code TREK5. You're listening to Trek FM. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Literary Treks, our dedicated Star Trek books and comics podcast. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me, as always, is my esteemed co-host, Matthew Rushing. Matthew, how's everything going for you this week? Chris, it's kind of weird. Yesterday, I was wearing a pair of shorts... Today, I had to wear a coat. That's right. <laughs> the weather has changed again here in Dallas, and I don't even know whether to blame Worf or somebody else. I, I don't know. Anyway, all I know is that the weather has changed again. And tomorrow, it has. It will be in this high 60s. So I don't know. I don't even know what to do with myself. I'm, I'm just going to start, uh, you know, carrying a bag like Mary Poppins that I can carry lots of stuff in without it being really heavy, um, you know, so I can just bring out whatever I need, no matter what the weather is, no matter what extremist group decides to play with the weather control systems. It sounds like uh, th- we're going to rename this show meteorological treks because we start every show out <laughs> with weather talk <laughs> well but i know how you feel it's the same situation yeah. here i i'm again wearing a turtleneck today because it's it's cold and it's in the middle of it's the beginning of may so but you know actually matthew what you need instead of a bag what you need is a box and that's our first news item today is a box and this is spock in a box now does this sound like something that you think you might need you know, I've often thought to myself um, that I could use a very smart, very logical person in a box. Maybe that box could fit in my pocket, and you know, just in case I ever need advice, which happens frequently, I need I need some good advice. So, what could be better than having Spock in a box? And that's what's really cool about this. We I just came across this the other day at the Trek Collective, and uh, Chronicle Books, which does some really fun things, uh, is going to be doing this uh, interesting Star Trek book that also comes with a small bust of Spock himself. So not only do you get a book, but you also get a bust. So this deal is definitely not a bust. You're going to want this book and bust. How many times can I say this, Chris? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so if you were going to get a bust, is do you want Spock's bust? Is that the bust that you most want? Wow. Chris, that is a loaded <laughs> question, and I'm really not sure that we should answer that. But maybe we could do that on After Dark FM, 
And uh, yeah, I think that might be a more appropriate conversation <laughs> there. Uh, this is a family-rated so. show. Uh, <laughs> Maybe so. This is just a very, it's an interesting thing. Now, Chronicle, they did How to Speak Klingon. And of course, last week, we just had Emmett Plant on to talk about that book. And this is, it's a really odd-looking thing. It's called Logic and Prosperity in a Box. And it's kind of like a fortune Vulcan, I guess. Like you, you, you open it up and then you get, advice inside is that is that what we're looking at here yeah it's filled with uh, philosophical quotes and images of spock in action so uh, you know him you know trying to kill kirk in the arena there uh, on vulcan while at the same time having a very nice logical philosophical phrase on the other side you know so i'm not really sure what you'd want more or maybe you know, there's a great picture of him mind melding with a horda and then giving you some, you know, fantastic av- advice on relationships about how, you know, having is not so great as wanting and all that kind of stuff that Spock likes to say. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe, maybe there can be some Abrams verse element in here too. And we can see Spock and other kinds of action. Again, I I think that you're just drawing <laughs> us over that line to After Dark FM. Um, but yes, uh, you know, I'm sure that Spock probably has some pointers for uh, Star Trek fans out there who maybe need some help in that area too. I think he just might. So it says on the front of this box, includes a book of logical advice and quotations from the Enterprise's first officer. Now, the image is kind of small, and as we were talking before the show, and I was reading this, I thought it said questions at first, and I thought, hmm, a box of questions from the Enterprise's first officer. Now, that that sounds like something interesting to buy. Well, of course. I mean, this is what would be so great about Spock, is that he uses the Socratic method to really help you learn. So he asks you questions and then makes you answer those questions. So, I mean, Spock is just really in in the long vein of great teachers and philosophers who really challenge us by asking us good questions. Actually, though, Chris, it's quotations. Um, This bust, unfortunately, does not talk. Okay, well, it should. It should have a little microchip inside And, uh, you know, you you open the box and Spock stares at you and says, who said logic is the cement of our civilization with which we ascend from chaos using reason as our guide? (laughs) And you're like, (laughs) or, you know, at that point, I'm just picturing it being a Spock in the box, kind of like a Jack in the box where and then Spock jumps out and tells you something smart. You know, the guys over at Chronicle Books are listening to this and going, we've really got to just get on that show so we can actually explain what our product is really about. (laughs) I think that this is one of those books, though. um, You know, Chronicle also did this great book, um, um, Vader and Son, and then they've done a new one called Vader's Little Princess. And so they're they're really finding a great market to be able to do these really cool, um, enjoyable things that fans oh. would, I think, really like. Yeah. Um, and I, I think this is kind of in that vein as well, doing the, you know, how to speak Klingon and now giving us Spock in a box. Just some fun things uh, for fans to be able to give each other. And, you know, I, 
I have, you know, action figures of Spock. I wouldn't mind a nice Spock bust with, you know, fun philosophical quotes uh, that he's made famous over the years. Yeah, it would be nice. And speaking of philosophical quotes and Vader and Son, you know, that was one of my favorite sitcoms. And my favorite character was Darth Esther, who would always drop by to to spout knowledge over to Vader and his son. Yes, yes. It's such a good show, uh, you know. Had a great theme song, too. But anyway, if you're interested in finding out more about this book, we will have links in the show notes and you can go over to the Trek Collective and see the picture and, you know, find out uh, everything that's going on with this book. Okay, so Matthew, speaking of busts, our next story is about the Star Trek Into Darkness audiobook. Now, I understand you're looking forward to getting this book. Well, Chris, um, you know, the Listeners know that every month I review the newest book that comes out, and this month there will be two. Um, There will be The Folded World, and then, of course, the Star Trek Into Darkness novelization by Alan Dean Foster. And so I don't really listen to a lot of audiobooks. It's not usually my forte. Um, I tend to kind of daydream during them and then get lost and then I have to go back and listen but you know with talking to some of our listeners um, on Twitter and things and and the importance just in general of audiobooks I thought it would be fun to review this book and as an audiobook and just to see what that's like I know the production's really good and Alice Eve is going to be reading this and I don't know if you know but she has a fantastic British accent and I'm, I'm really looking forward to listening to her read this because I'm thinking that even if I don't really get what's happening in the story, I'm really going to enjoy listening to her the entire time. Yeah, you're just going to be mesmerized by the accent the whole time. That's right? exactly it. doesn't really it. matter what, yeah. what she's saying. It really doesn't. She could be reading the phone book. I'd probably love it. So... This should be fun, though. I-, I am excited to actually listen to this to see what the production's like on audiobooks these days as we talked to Emmett last week. And um, knowing that he's working on this book uh, and-, and this production is exciting as well. And so I think this will be a lot of fun, and it'll be kind of a first for us with the book reviews, and, and this one will be just a little bit different. Yeah, it'll be good. And, and I'm also going to be getting this audiobook and listening as well, so maybe we'll talk about it at some point. I'm sure we'll talk about it in the news segment here anyway, after it comes out on May 21st. And so uh, we'll tell everyone what we think about it. And everyone already knows what we think about Alice. So we'll we'll let you know what we think about the actual novelization. Exactly. We'll try to be serious. (laughs) We'll try. But we will not be serious talking about this next item, which is perfect for the holidays. It's it's only May, but before we know it, you know, Christmas is going to be here again. And that's why you're going to want to have a very clean gone Christmas. Chris, you know, I don't know what your favorite Christmas story is. Um, you know, for me, you know, I always love waiting to just see what Hallmark is going to do Star Trek wise. I always get really excited. I have all the ornaments. I always enjoy, you know, putting them on the tree. And as I do, I usually watch or listen to one of my favorite, you know, Christmas albums or, you know, famous favorite Christmas films. Well, I'm so excited that we're going to be getting a Star Trek Christmas. 
with a very Klingon Christmas. And I can't imagine there being a better Christmas thing because, you know, you haven't celebrated Christmas until you've done it in the original Klingon. And so that's true. This is going to be a book that's just firmly puts Klingons at the center of the Christmas story. And, I, you know, I always think, you know, wouldn't the birth of Jesus been better with a Klingon there? <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a there's a great scene in Love Actually where uh, Emma Thompson's daughter tells her that she's made first lobster in the nativity play. And Emma Thompson goes, <laughs> there was more than one lobster at the birth of Jesus. And her daughter goes, duh. So I'm just imagining <laughs> this version has Klingons. <laughs> that would be perfect. You know, my favorite, my tradition, actually, uh, talking about Klingon Christmas traditions and, and books and stories and all, my favorite is How Kaless Stole Christmas. I, I watch it every year on Christmas Eve. It's, it's, it is a very Klingon story. You know, everyone goes to sleep. They're expecting to get their gifts in the morning. And then Kalis comes down to Targville and he goes in everyone's houses and he chops down everyone's Christmas trees with his batleth and, and then he leaves. And everyone wakes up and the, all their houses are destroyed. There are no presents. But, but still, they come out and, and, they, and they all look up and they all howl. It's so good. And he has that little Targ with him, you know, to pull his sleigh called Morg. And it's just fantastic. I mean, what a what a heartwarming story. Um, because you know, after they all howl, they all race up the mountain and they murder Kaylas with their bare hands. And it's fantastic. Yeah. And then they well, eat his heart. It's very so. Klingon. Yeah. It's it's a it's a very Klingon Christmas. So, if you would like to find out more great stories about Klingon Ooh. Christmas, you can get this book. Uh, it includes everything from a Santa equipped with retractable claws, triples in the stockings of naughty Klingon boys and girls. And, and of course, that pretty much describes all Klingon boys and girls, I believe. And, uh, and you can even have a hot cup of blood wine. Yes. You know, Chris, actually, that's my favorite holiday drink is a hot cup of mold blood wine, you know with the targ roasting over the open fire the chestnuts you know just it's it's fantastic it's it's as they describe it here it's a very much like a nostalgic norman rockwell inspired warrior style it's going to be good this is going to be a i think a really fun book to give to the star trek fan put that in their stocking they're going to love it it's going to come out in october so it's Plenty of time for you to get one. Sixteen ninety nine. It does sound like it's actually going to be a pretty nice book, um, and uh, a lot of fun. You know, nothing like pulling this out and reading it to the kids and scaring to the death. You know, it's a little bit more like a nightmare <laughs> before Christmas. I think it is. Yeah. All right. So watch for that from Gallery Books coming in October, and we'll put links in the show notes as well. All right, Matthew. We only have one little comic item today and it's it's not even really anything to discuss it's just a news bulletin just wanted everybody to be aware that finally ongoing 20 is coming out 
coming out May 8th, so you're going to want to get this. This is the story of uh, Sulu and Chekhov meet each other for the first time. Um, we have been waiting for this for a long time, and it's a fantastic way to celebrate um, the release of Star Trek Into Darkness. Finally going to get this again. Just don't forget, it's coming out this Wednesday, um, and we wanted you to be aware of that so that you could be sitting there in line waiting for Star Trek and in Darkness. I know that so many of our fans are going to be doing that on the 15th because they all had the app and are going to be sitting there in line and they can pull out their iPads or their comics and read Ongoing 20. Most definitely. I'm looking forward to it as well. Now, Matthew, before we jump into the feature, let's take a moment and tell our listeners about our sponsor, Squarespace. Now, Squarespace is absolutely the best platform for creating a personal website, a blog, a portfolio, or an online store. I've been using Squarespace for five or six years now. I swear by this platform. And what I love about them is that they are constantly updating the platform with new features and new designs and even more support options. And they give you so many beautiful designs to start with, and it's incredibly easy for you to put together a website. One of the neat things, Chris, of the way the website's designed as well is that it'll look great on any device. So you know how important it is to have your website, your blog, any of the things that you're doing online to look good, not only on somebody's computer where they might have a huge screen to be able to see the site, but also on an iPad or say an iPhone or an Android device. You really want that site to really pop when somebody sees it, even on their small iPhone screen. And so this is one of the things I really like about Squarespace as well, because you have a fantastic site on any device. Absolutely. That's what they call responsive design. And I was just showing that to my wife actually yesterday because I'm working on a site that's based on Squarespace. And we, we were working on the site in the browser and she was seeing what it looks like on my large display. And then I pulled out my iPad and I pulled out my iPhone and I, I opened it on all three of these devices at the same time. And she was amazed at, at how well the Squarespace system reflows the site and especially how the menu system works on a smartphone and and how it uh, breaks it down into a little menu link that you tap and then you have access to the site's full menu uh, and it looks great you know it's none of that pinching and zooming stuff that you sometimes have to do on sites just to figure out you know how to navigate around so that is fantastic and the way that you build those sites is one of the true joys of using squarespace Using a system of blocks, you can actually assemble a page by just dragging different types of contents onto your page. And then Squarespace automatically locks those into a grid. And, and I use the word lock, but, but don't mistake that for being you know, a rigid design and, and a very basic website. It just does the layout organization for you so that what you really think about is just the content and how you want to make your website look. There are fantastic controls behind the scenes that you have access to. You can modify the look and feel of your site, the widths, the typefaces, the uh, the sizes of your headers, and everything using sliders, just entering digits, sizes for the fonts. It's super easy and it really takes all of the hard parts of building a website out of the picture and, and makes great web design accessible to really anyone. 
Well, and I think this is one of the really nice things, Chris, is because Squarespace really cares about design, and all of the templates are extremely clean, and they really allow you to take that content that you've put on the site and have that be the focus and not necessarily the website itself. Um, you know, I, and for me, you know, I really don't like when I go to a website and it's just really cluttered. And Squarespace really understands this idea of design and how, you know, when you go to the a certain type of website and it just pops out and everything is very easy to find, that's really what Squarespace helps you do. Take your content and make that the focus. Absolutely. Yeah. If you care about design, if you want to make things easy on your readers, Squarespace is perfect starting point for that. Uh, and then, as I said, you can modify it and make it your own. You know, no two Squarespace sites look alike. And, and that's actually very true. And the other thing that they make really easy for you to do is to get that content out of your website to the world. You know, these days, it's really not enough to just put content on your website. It's great to have a website, but people aren't going to find it unless you let them know it's there. And so using Facebook, using Twitter, using Pinterest, Instagram, Google, there are so many ways these days to connect with everyone through social media. And Squarespace lets you connect your accounts with your site and automatically push your content out as you make a new post. You can take any page on your website and you can share it on your Facebook page. The connected accounts features of Squarespace are incredibly easy to use and they make sure that all the time that you do put into creating content results in people coming to your site and reading your content, looking at your artwork, purchasing your products, it really makes your website the most effective tool, both for your personal branding or your business branding. Well, and this is one of the nice things uh, that they do as well, is that uh, they give you this great calendar feature that enables you to have all of your events and you can put those, uh, especially if you have a, a, sm a small shop with live events and workshops. If you're a musician and you're on tour, uh, you can share your schedule with others, with your fans. Uh, I think this is a really neat thing that Squarespace does and allows it to be something that's simple and easy to use and, and, and not overly complicated. And to, For me, I'm not a web savant, so there's nothing I hate worse than than having to really spend hours trying to figure out these kind of things. And the Squarespace makes it simple and easy for anybody to be able to figure out and to use in, in just a few moments. Yeah, the calendar is a really nice new feature. They've added quite a few new features just over the past month. And the calendar one is excellent. Other features they've added are the ability to duplicate pages in an easier way. You can restore deleted collections. So if you put your images into galleries and you build collections, uh, you know, Squarespace has a great revisions tracking system and they make it easy for you to restore things even if you have deleted them. And and that's a great safety net. Uh, you know, I really appreciate those kinds of features because um, I don't have to use them very often. But, you know, we all make mistakes. We all change our minds sometimes. And it's great to be able to roll back when you need to. You can also send forms to multiple locations using the built-in form builder in Squarespace. And there are two new templates as well. There's Adirondack and Momentum. One is great for a store. One is great for a photo-centric blog. And uh, those are added to the many wonderful templates that they already have there in Squarespace. 
And best of all, it doesn't cost you very much. The pricing is amazing. It's just $8 a month for the standard package, $16 a month for the unlimited package, and $24 per month for the business package, which, which gives you the incredible commerce features that tie into Stripe that can allow you to set up an online store and start processing credit cards and handle customer orders and shipping very easily in just a matter of minutes. And they'll even give you a free domain registration when you sign up for the annual or semi-annual plans. And we would love for you to try this out for free. Squarespace has a great offer for Trekka Film listeners. You can get 10% off your purchase on new accounts. And you can try it free for 14 days and you have access to all the features of Squarespace. And there's no credit card required. Just go to squarespace.com trek You just give them a name and email address. They'll create a trial site for you. You can use all the features. You can import your existing site from WordPress, Blogger, or other platforms. See what it's like. And after 14 days, when you decide to sign up, and I know you will, you just enter offer code TREK5, and that will get you 10% off your lifetime purchase on new accounts. And, and, uh, you know, choose the annual plan. Get that free domain registration. There's really no easier way to set up a website, a blog, a portfolio, an online store. It's all there for you at Squarespace. So uh, give them a try. We know you'll love them. You'll be supporting our sponsor and helping us bring this programming to you every week. We're really excited, Chris, to have with us tonight John Tenuto to talk about Khan ruling in hell. Um, These comics tell the story of Khan from the moment they land on the planet and Kirk leaves them and just give you the backstory to what happens in Star Trek 2. And uh, when we were talking about who we should have on the show, you mentioned John. And of course, John is the resident expert on the Wrath of Khan for all the research he's done. So we're really excited to have you on, John. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Yeah, welcome back, John. Well, John, before we get into looking at the comic, tell everybody how you got into researching the Wrath of Khan. Uh, sure. Um, well, I was fascinated with uh, Nicholas Meyer's idea that uh, art thrives on limitations, and I, I, you know, knowing what I knew as a fan about the making of Star Trek, I thought, well, you know, that really does apply to Star Trek. You know, as it's a wonderful television show, especially the '60s television show that had all the limitations of budget and time and special effects technology. And um, one day, my wife and I were were in uh, Iowa. And we stopped by the University of Iowa. We both teach sociology here in Illinois. But we were visiting there and had never been there before. And it turns out that they have the Nicholas Meyer paper collection there. And it has all of his scripts and, 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 and drafts and memos of all the, all the films that he's done. And, of course, Star Trek is represented. And, and it was almost like that scene in Raiders, you know, at the end. Uh, <laughs> except better organized. And there's just, <laughs> there's, you know, there's boxes of this material. And... Uh, one of the things that we discovered were there was just an amazing array of photographs, eventually uh, numbering almost 800 photographs in the Wrath of Khan that I had never seen before uh, for the, from the production side. And so we had asked permission from Mr. Meyer uh, to, to scan those and to, to do some research, to, to really to apply that idea of art thrives on limitations. And then once we kind of finished that, it made sense to see where it all started. And so we did the same thing, but this time we asked permission from uh, CBS and Paramount, and we were able to access the archives 
of Gene Roddenberry and uh, get all the production memos and 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 budgets and and all of those things and all the different dra drafts of the script for Space Seed. And so it's really been this really fun journey looking at how the character of Khan was created, how that idea of art thrives on limitation applies to the really wonderful artists and, and, and you know the writers, the directors, the actors, the special effects people who uh, made you know really some of Star Trek's finest moments with the episode and with the movie. And, uh, and through that we discovered a lot of new things and interesting things and never before known things and we branched out into interviewing people. We just interviewed uh, uh, you know some of the people who uh, who did the casting and so on for the episode, and so it was a lot. It was a lot of fun, and so in that we, you know, fall, sort of fallen in love with Ricardo Montalban himself, and also, um, you know, the, how the character was created. Excellent um, for you, and just kind of looking at this comic here, and uh, I take it as well. You've also read Greg Cox's books. Um, what was your general impression just of this this comic the first time you had read it? Well, you know, it, it's funny because now, you know, thinking about it for the the podcast, w one of the things that struck me was, you know, that it could come out around around the same time as the IDW finally had released, you know, the never-before-done um, Star Trek II comic book adaption. And so, it, you know, it, when I first read it, I didn't necessarily put it in the context of being like a prequel comic in a way. Um, but thinking about now how that's pretty standard in the world of Star Trek, um, you know, it, it really serves as an excellent prequel to, you know, the bridge between Space Seed and Wrath of Khan. I would think that anybody who loves those two, uh, you know, adventures would, would love the comic because it, it bridges it. I don't necessarily like everything in it. I do have a couple problems, especially the way Marla, um, is, uh, you know, is is forced the eel is forced into her. I, I I think in some ways that harms Wrath of Khan a little bit, but otherwise I think it's a wonderful, pretty much a wonderful comic uh, with a lot to admire, and it has a lot of similarities with Cox's book too. Right, and and you're right. One of the things that's so great about this comic is it's uh, it really fits that sensibility, like you said, of doing a prequel comic. You know, we got Countdown before um, the 2009 film came out. And now we've gotten Countdown to Darkness, uh, which has been a fantastic lead-in, I think, to the film, which I, I cannot wait to see the film because I believe that this comic has really set it up nicely. In fact, I think all of the uh, comics that they've done for the ongoing series have really set up what we're going to see in this film. Um, and I, I, I completely agree with you on that. Chris, tell me what's, uh, you know, just your thoughts. We had read this a while back, kind of planned on doing it then and just didn't get a chance to, what did you think, uh, the first time you read it and, and just rereading it again? Um, I thought it was interesting to see, like you were mentioning before we went on the air, how Khan's attitude was very trusting towards Kirk and Starfleet at the beginning and then seeing the progression that led us to the kind that we saw in the movie. And I, I don't know, some of the events are things that I never really personally imagined taking place, especially when you get around past the middle of the story, which we'll talk about as we go on. And uh, I do agree with John that I think the way that they basically assault Marla with the, with the ill I mean, it serves its purpose to set up the concept of the ill 
when we get to the film. But again, this was not really written as a prequel comic to The Wrath of Khan. So uh, when you go back and you read it in retrospect, having seen the movie dozens of times over the years, it, it is kind of an odd element in there that probably does harm that element of the movie and uh, and the vendetta that Khan has against Kirk. But overall, I really enjoyed the story. And I think it's, a, you know... Even amongst Superman, it's going to be a realistic way that events might play out if they were to find themselves in the situation that they did there on City Off of Five. Yeah, I think this is, um, you know, reading through it, and I've read it through it before, obviously, and then reading through it again today and just looking over everything. You know, one of the things that stood out to me is this. Um, I really, one, I really like the artwork in this book. I think it's really well done and it really serves the story very well. Um, it, it's um, just every page is, is full of uh, just a wonderful visual images. I like the way everything is set up. Um, and uh, I don't know, it almost has like, I feel like that veneer, you know, you would put on the lens back in the 60s to give it that 60s look. I feel like this comic has that, you know, so I'm I'm reading something that's taking place between, you know, the space seed and you know, uh star trek 2 and yeah i think the artists actually wore special glasses as they were drawing this so that it would yeah, look exactly. that way to them <laughs> so they could really convey that just to us just put on the <laughs> you know the the vaseline there on 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 his glasses so that as he drew it it came out that way so that's one of the things i really liked um so, you know, I didn't really think about what you guys have brought up with, you know, kind of forcing the eel into Marla because, you know, when to me in the film, when he says that it, it's not so much about how it happened. It's just the fact that it happened in the first place because they're blocked on this planet and they can't get away. And, and so Khan's taking all his anger out on the only person he can, the only person really responsible for putting them there is Kirk. And, and so uh, I didn't necessarily see it the same way you guys did, that it would cause a problem for me when I'm watching the film and thinking back on this comic. Ooh, you know, um, I just saw it as, as um, kind of the evilness of um, these these characters, you know, uh, and why genetic engineering is something that we don't do. Um, and why, especially in Star Trek, um, we don't do genetic engineering because this is what happens. This is what people turn into. Um, and what's really interesting to me is I just wanted to talk about with you guys is Khan because, you know, in Space Seed, he is very much this maniacal character who just wants to take over the Enterprise so that he can rule the galaxy. But he gets to this planet and he seems kind of docile and like... I, and, and I don't know if it's that he's been bested by Kirk and he realizes, okay, maybe I'm I'm not as great as I thought I was, or what do you guys think? Well, you know, I, th I think one of the great things about the comic is they did really get, um, you know, they did a great job with Khan being the central character of the comic. If that, if he didn't work, you know, the whole thing wouldn't work, especially since you know the end. I mean, it's one of those, classic dilemmas when you write something where you know where these characters all wind up and so what you have to do to make it interesting is to tell you something new about the character um, 
you know, give you specifics that you may not have thought of before. And I think that that line, that through line of having Khan, in a way, be Kirk's champion, <laughs> you know, when 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 Tomas and some of the other augments are are you know really they're expressing the anger towards Starfleet, towards Kirk. Um, and Khan has this faith in Kirk that, 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 of course, he's going to come back for us. He's a good person. You know, in some ways, he, that does tap a little bit into his arrogance, right? Because a man who beat him can has to be a good man, you know. That's what um, I was just thinking. Yeah. how else could he have beaten right. you know, the great Khan? So, I, you know, there's a subtlety with that. But in some ways, it's almost this innocent, naive um, view and in a way, T- Tomas is right. Right, the, the, they don't know what to do with these people. Um, Con, uh, Kirk admits as much in a way when they're when when they're sort of debating that on the first few pages, and and Kirk saying, you know, well, what else do you do with these people? You put them anywhere, they're going to take over. Um, and 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 in a way, Tomas was right that you know there probably was no intention to ever come back and check on them, uh, or if it would have been, it would have been you know irregularly and kind of try to forget about them, and. Uh, and I think that Khan, Khan has that na- naivety, and then you see him sort of transform through the comic, um, you know, into the Khan that we're more familiar with, with in, in Wrath of Khan. You know, I had always seen Khan in the show, you know, having read the different drafts and then how he changed from when he was Harold Erickson to when he was John Erickson to when he was, you know, Ragnar Thorwald to when he became Kirk. Um, he starts Ooh, off as Ragnar Thawwold. I yeah. I like that one. They yeah. should have gone with yeah. that. That would be hard to shout, right? <laughs> <laughs> For Kirk. <laughs> uh, Ragnar. Ragnar. Uh, it, doesn't, it, doesn't, yeah, it doesn't have as much uh, <laughs> oomph to it. But um, you know, he starts off as this kind of criminal, thug criminal, and and one of the things the research showed really was that the character was changed because of the casting. Of Montalban, it was his ethnicity was changed. Everything was changed, uh, and in a way, the the elegance of the character was was changed in a very last minute draft by Roddenberry um, after after Montalban was cast. And so, um, you know, there's a lot of Montalban in that in, in who that character was in Space Seed. And you know, I always saw him as a man who's sort of out of time, and and and, but but not necessarily. You know, he wasn't insane. Or 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 um, unstable like he was in Wrath of Khan, you know that there's that change for the character. So this comic kind of answers that. How did that change occur? How did he become erratic, making really bad decisions in a way uh, out of out of anger and revenge um, in the Wrath of Khan? And then the, I guess the problem I had with the with the Marla uh, abduction and, and the forcing of the eel into her was that, in a way, then I think his rage. His rage is more justified at Kirk if it's random. As, as I sort of always took it as these eels just sort of popped up. They attacked his people. Um, it right. was one of the, the things they had to live with. And so that randomness of it is, is, is what justifiably moves Khan into that almost maniacal, insane uh, right. uh, uh, position. Yeah. And then, of course, at Kirk, because Kirk's the one responsible. In, in both Craig Cox's book, where it is a character named Hareloff, I think it is, Erickson, and then in this one, it's Tomas. In both the Cox book and this comic, they have another character um, it, you know, deliberately inject her with it. And so now the rage should be directed at that character. And, and it is in the comic and in the other book, but it, it should be assaged by that, the killing of, that, of the bad guy. And, and so the, the rage towards Kirk in some way diminishes 
in its power, I think, and, and becomes unjustifiable in a way where it is justifiable um, if it's random. I don't know if that makes sense. but No, I agree. Yeah, that's how I think about it, too. I, I think the only way that I could could then go off of that is to say that Khan is now angry at Kirk because he put his faith in him and he let him down. Yeah, and yeah. And so that his his anger is that you made a fool out of me as well. You know, uh, Khan doesn't obviously like looking like a fool to anyone. Uh, and Kirk has made him look like a fool twice. You know, he's bested him uh, on the Enterprise and now he's bested him on the planet without even being there. And that just won't stand for Khan at this point. So, I, I yeah, I see what you're saying. And that does definitely uh, change, I think, in some ways, the story if, if we look at it like that. Um, but I think what you said just now is great because it shows you that surprise element, you know, that teaching us, you know, something new in a way that we didn't we didn't know or we didn't approach the character that way. And that, that's why it's such a successful comic, because it do, it doesn't just give us what we would all, you know, the broad strokes that we all just presumed were there, um, you know, the planet exploding, them having a rough life, it, it gives you much more than that. Right. It really, it gives you that kind of rounded story um, so that you can kind of continue that character arc from Space Seed all the way to the Wrath of Khan. Uh, and it makes you feel like you've seen a whole progression, which is, is you know, the best part of, of any kind of character writing John, you mentioned bad decisions that Khan was making, and I, I, I did see one thing in this comic that explains part of the problems that they have even before the planet explodes and the climate starts changing, and that's the fact that when they go out to hunt and explore the planet, he has them all dressed in red. Now, cl- clearly, you can tell he just woke up not long before he was stranded <laughs> on this planet. And he does not have experience in Starfleet, or else he would have known with his superior intellect not to dress his entire community in red. Or, or I mean, I, I, I hope that he did know that a planet exploding next to another planet would affect that planet, but there is almost a naivety on his side, like, oh, it's another planet, that's okay. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there are some... I mean, maybe he's not as smart as we're led to believe either. That's that part of it may be that the genetic experiment may have made him more of a thug than an intellectual uh, uh, creature, um, and certainly explains his behavior in space seed and 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 um, and that or uh, the intelligence that's there is muted by that sort of you know. Angst. So hey, mm. yeah, we're going out in red because that's cool, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, or or it's aggressive, and so I like it. You know, I, I, it, it is a strange. The Arch Steve makes a lot of bad choices. He should have listened to Yalcom a lot. And I I get the feeling too in the, in the comic just talking about his choices of the con makes here. I get the feeling that he understands all the ramifications that everybody's talking to him, but he can't think of any answers. And he knows they won't be able to think of any answers either. I, I get that that's his feeling, but what he I think really does wrong here is is he's not a good enough leader to have everybody okay. Okay, let's talk all this through. Okay, what's any idea we can think of to get off this planet? They never do that, you know. Khan just dictatorially leads, and this is what causes this schism because nobody feels listened to um, at all, and so. 
and they don't think that he's getting it. But I feel like the reading the comic, Khan gets all of this. He just doesn't know how to get past it. And he feels like, I guess, maybe this is where that superior intellect thing comes in. Okay, I'm smart enough. Nobody here is smarter than me. If I can't think of a way to get off of this, then nobody can. Um, and so maybe that's part of his downfall too here uh, is he's too smart for his own good. And that faith, that, that faith in Kirk, that's genuine. He thinks exactly. that's the solution. You know, that's right. That, he's putting his, all his eggs in that basket in a way right. uh, for part of the story. Yeah, because he just doesn't think that there's a better solution. You know, he knows there's no way the Botany Bay is ever going to get into space again. He knows they don't have what it takes to build a subspace transceiver, um, especially from talking to Occam about that um, and knowing from the schematics they saw, there's just, they don't have it. So putting it all together, he doesn't know what to do. But by never talking that through with the crew and allowing them to express themselves, he creates this sense of unrest that builds and builds until, you know, obviously he loses his wife. So, um, well, John, one of the things, and, and Chris, I wanted to ask, speaking, we talked a lot about Marla, it's just, um, the, I noticed that the portrayal of women in the comic is very 60s. Um, you know, uh, all the women wear the uh, nice mesh outfits that they found Khan in uh, and his crew. Uh, so basically they're walking around naked, um, the whole time, even when it gets cold. Um, and just kind of the role that they play is, it's pretty much you're there to, you know, have relations with me when I want to and make me feel good about myself. And, uh, that's pretty much it. So I just thought that was really interesting that <laughs> apparently superior intellect does not breed better gender relationships. Yeah, you see, you know, you see the women are not highlighted. There's a, there's like one of them, one or two of them, when when they all agree that they're going to go and and have the civil war with uh, with Tomas's people. You know, they're, they're going to kind of end this now. And there's a one of the women has a sword, and she's like Khan, but they never show them fighting. I mean, you, you know, you, the, there's no women are mar, mar, totally marginalized in the story. You know, they don't explore really anybody except. Marla, um, and then even she really only serves the purpose of of being in a skimpy outfits so they can do you know <laughs> images like that in the comic, and then um, and then of course to to as a MacGuffin you know which she is in Wrath of Khan too you know the 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 reason that Khan you know does the actions that he does, so they, she doesn't really have a story of her own. Um, in this comic, it really is about you know almost the father-son uh, uh, relationship that Kirk uh, that, that, that Khan has with his with Yalcum and and then their struggles and the, the, it is it is in that way like the episode Space Seed you know and Wrath of Khan where there are there are women there uh, and uh, but they don't really serve much of a purpose for Khan uh, or his people. Yeah, well, other than to propagate the species right. because they've been chosen, you know, um, there's even a line when Kirk, or I'm sorry, there's even a line there where Khan is remembering what happened and he says, you know, um, only one of their crew was worthy of my attention, the ship's historian, Marla McGivers, and I made her mine, uh, you know, just such a possessive, like domineering 
chauvinistic attitude towards women, even for somebody who's supposed to be so smart. Uh, whereas you contrast that with something like Kirk, um, you know, telling Uhura that she's the linchpin, you know, uh, in yeah, an episode, yeah. you know, that you, there's nobody else on this ship who can do this. It has to be you. Yeah. You know? Very interesting. Um, and, uh, again, very, I think what makes this comic work is it, again, it feels like that kind of sixties attitude. Yeah. That was really the, you know, the, one of the memos, the production memos for space seed. And really, I think in some ways, one of the most memo, most important memos in the history of star Trek, because my, you know, my thinking is no space seed, no wrath of Khan, no wrath of Khan, no franchise. You know, yeah. uh, I, you know, if, if Khan, if Wrath of Khan hadn't been what it was, and as incredibly successful it was, and opened up as the biggest film in box office history on its opening weekend um, at that time, uh, you know, I think Star Trek's history would have been very different. And um, it's really a memo by Gene Kuhn that outlines where at that time he was still named Erickson, but outlined this idea of Erickson not just being a villain of the week, but that Erickson should really be a special kind of bad guy that this is it, without them saying it, the memo was saying we need to create Kirk's Joker. You know, uh, we need to create his Lex Luthor. We need, we need to create the person who really is Kirk's equal or better. And, and in this memo, a lot of the sort of spirit of, who Khan is, is brought into bear. And it's a lot of it is a comparison against Kirk. In other words, that Khan is in, in, in essence, the flip side of Kirk. Um, and, and, you know, even their names eventually become similar to one another. And, 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 and so that makes sense that Kirk, who, despite, you know, I, I really reject uh, this idea that Kirk is a Lothario. I, I don't think it's borne out in the show or in, certainly not in the movies. Um, Kirk does not, you know, Kirk is like, you know, he always treats women with respect. He's not James Bond. Uh, he doesn't just, uh, you know, he isn't just with women and then leaves. Um, and, and, and if he is, if he is sort of um, being a Lothario, it's always for the purpose of saving his ship. When we meet his past loves, who he genuinely was in love with, and, and it wasn't that he needed to do this in order to create a diversion or something like that to save his people. He has genuinely, you know, uh, a genuine emotion for them. You know, these are women that mattered to him and that he respected uh, and that who, who meant something to him. And uh, so this whole idea that somehow he's a playboy or whatever, I, th that's me, an Internet mem, you know, uh, not, a, not, a real, not a real thing. You but know, in the um, Abrams verse, both in the movies and in the comics as well, I think they're really playing that angle on Kirk. Yeah, you know, which may be okay because he's supposed to be young and sort of still yeah. learning and, and everything. And and may you know, the impression I always got that the young young Kirk in the Shatner world was you know more of a bookworm. You know, I mean, they even imply that. Uh, yeah. And that Gary Gary Mitchell kind of had to you know get, <laughs> introduce him to women and things like that when he was starting out. Um, so I think that Khan, in essence, you know he loves Marla obviously, but his sort of view of women being really different um, than Kirk's is, is an important aspect of the two characters. You know that 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 is one of those things that here here's the distinction. You know both good leaders maybe both inspirational, both intelligent, you know, um, but here's the differences. 
and one of those differences is the way that they think about and approach women. Uh, you know, he certainly Shatner never does any of the stuff that you that you were seeing in the commercials for the Pine version, where he's looking at right. women and 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 yeah. you know making these comments like, "Hey, here's my phone number." You know, I mean, in a way, I, I am a little bit saddened by that, only because I, I hope he outgrows that. Um, uh, you know, in this film, and, and that we get the Kirk who's truly someone that you admire, because I certainly don't want my son thinking, you know, hey, that's how you should be. You know, that's what a hero is. Um, and so, you know, uh, it's okay maybe because he's young and he's got a learning curve, but I, I hope that that's something that is not in the next film. I hope the next film is they're, they're off and it's, it's, it's them as we, you know, would hope that they become. And, uh, um, you know, this distinction between Kirk and Khan in terms of the way that they look at gender is an important aspect of of the comic and the episodes and and the films and maybe because Khan only has that respect for one woman when she is taken away from him then it's everything right right yeah what are some of the other things that uh, that you two i uh, just reading through uh, really liked about the story and the way that it plays out you know, one of the things that I enjoyed was the way, you know, one of the most confusing things about the world of Khan in some ways is who is Yao Kim and Yao Kin, you know, the, the, these characters. And, and, you know, in terms of only what's established on screen, um, you know, we really have no idea who Judson Scott's character is in Wrath of Khan. Now, in some of the early versions of the script, it's implied pretty heavily that he's Kirk's, uh, that he's Khan's son. Right, and it feels that way too. And, and and I know that they rehearsed it that way. I know that Judson Scott and Montalban, when they rehearsed together, thought that that's what this, they were. They they Their perception was that he was the son. Now, how could the son look like that at 15, in 15 years old? Well, because he's augmented, right? So they grow faster, and so he's in his 20s or, or, or early 30s. Um, at the same time, that's never actually said. Um, in the script, his, his name is spelled with an M, where in Spacey, that, that presumed what could be the same character, I guess, in a way, um, is spelled with an N. Um, that's probably more likely just a typo, a mistake, not necessarily deliberate. Um, we're never going to know, because that, I think that's one of the questions that they want to leave ambiguous in a way, you know, that Meyer likes to leave that for us to figure that out. Um, yeah, I'm, glad, I'm glad they didn't mix up Kine's name, though, Com or Kine. <laughs> especially, when Kirk, <laughs> especially when Kirk tells him you have the Com. What? I don't, um, that would be very good. Con, I have the Con. No, 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 C-O-M, not, not K-H-O-M. <laughs> oh, oh, yes. Yeah, oh, gotcha, because that would be, Savick might be scared when he's not <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, remember he came, you know, he left Earth in the 90s during the dot-com boom. And so he was known as dot-com. <laughs> he was, he w- was that w- rapper? W- yeah. All right. <laughs> yes, he was www.cordoba.com. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I, I do like how this comic, you know, sort of resolves that. A little differently, you know, in Cox's book, it's it's... Yaukum is the son of Yao Kin, and Khan kind of adopts him. That's sort of the 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 way that it goes in the in the Greg in the Greg Cox world. But in this comic, the way that he's drawn, I mean, he's drawn as Judson Scott Young, and he's not drawn at all to look like 
the actor who played him in the in Space Seed, he uh, you know it's drawn as as a Wrath of Khan character. So mm-hmm. the, this comic is answering that they are the same person. You know that that he was he was with you know Khan when he tries to take over the Enterprise in Space Seed, and um, I like that. I like I, you know I, I like any kind of answer to that. Um, you know that's a I think that's one of the fun things about Wrath of Khan is trying to figure out who who is this guy. Well, and it it definitely gives you um, a connection to him when you watch the film. Like you you care more about his character. Uh, otherwise, he's just kind of this weird guy that you know stands behind Khan and says something every once in a while. Has a great you know '80s hairdo. Um, and uh, yeah. he, he, although I always did get the father son feeling personally when I see him there. I mean, even though he has those lines and he kind of feels like this guy who's there, I do feel like, and maybe it's as John, as you say, they rehearsed it this way because that was what they were thinking, what they were supposed to be. I get this feeling that, that he is Khan's son. There just seems to be a depth to their relationship there that really doesn't have any basis uh, what we're seeing on screen, uh, you know, established to make me feel that way, but yet I do feel it. One of the things that I thought that they might do in the comic, but they didn't, um, was to put uh, Chekhov at the beginning, uh, beaming <laughs> down with them, um, just so that, you know, he would be there, uh, kind of answer that question, that age-old question, how does Khan know Chekhov? Um, I was kind of surprised that they didn't do that, just throw him in there and you know, as a little nod to the fans, the question that we've had for mm-hmm. ages, you know, Khan never forgets a face, but was yeah, it would have been funny. Check off just the lower decks guy at that point, and you ran into him in the halls. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was gonna say it would be, it would have been fun if he did something actually like, you know, like he would. Check off was the one who I don't know programmed the the computers or something on the on the Botany Bay to you know make life easier and Khan could have said something like well thank you I'll never forget that you know <laughs> right and that's why we don't see him in Space Seed because he's over on the Botany Bay during that entire episode working on the computers yeah that would be I mean that would be kind of a neat you know it, it was, that was a lost opportunity you know to, to do something like that that was a that would that would be both a wink to the fans and also would actually help correct you know, which, which I think the Cox book. I mean, it's it's in a way it's unfair to compare a comic to a novel, but the 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 novel really tries to address these inconsistencies, you know, um, or these sort of scientific problems with a planet exploding and how do you not know that it's not gone and and all those kinds of things. And uh, the comics more sort of focus more on the characters and kind of don't don't try to answer those questions as much. Mm-hmm. One of the things, too, that I thought was really interesting about the comic was just the way that, you know, they don't know for a while why their people are getting sick. Um, you know, they're, they're really shocked to see that their their people are deteriorating like this because this hasn't happened before. You know, they're genetically engineered. They're not supposed to have this kind of thing happen uh, mentally and, and physically. Um, and, and so I liked that even though I know the story that these eels are going to come into play – I don't automatically think that that's what's happening right then and there at the you know as I read through the comic. Yeah, I didn't really think about it either until we got to the point where they introduced the ills. Up to that point, I'm just thinking, yeah, so- something is making them sick. 
But and of course, I should have made the connection. I think, considering how many times I've seen Wrath of Khan, I should have thought, oh, maybe it's the eels. But I never did until that moment. That's one of those surprises that's, that I think is good here. And also, they didn't you know, cheat you in a way on the eels. I, I don't like what they did with Marla, but I think how they handled the eels otherwise was very successful. And they taught me something new about them, you know, that they were, that the reason that the, they hadn't encountered them was because they were underground and they had to come up in order to survive like everything else on the planet. They had to migrate after the... Uh, disaster, and that, in some ways, I like the theme that, you know, that I again, I did, never had made this connection until I read the comic a few years ago, which was that the the eels seeking the warmth and comfort of your ear is the same as the eels seeking the warmth and comfort of their mother in the crevices of the mother, right? So that's why they're that's why they do that, and they kind of say that in the comic book, and I, I like that because that taught me something, you know, about these creatures, um, which were originally, they were spiders in the original version of the scripts, um, and I think the eel was much more so creepy and a, a much better choice, um, yeah. and, 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 and it works effectively in the comic, too. Well, plus, if, the, if it were a spider, they would have, you know, how they built that giant ear for the movie so they could do that close up they would have had to spin a web inside the ear as well and that would have you know probably blown the budget right there right yeah or we would have just you know they would have had spider-man in the movie it would have been confused oh, that, oh now there is a comic crossover idea for idw right and they battle the eels Exactly. The huge, awesome. big mother eel. It, it, it's kind of related to the, the, you know, the croc that comes after Spider-Man, the latest film, but it's a, just yeah, a giant spider this time, yeah. an eel. Or, you know, yeah, man, this is getting good. Uh, I hope IDW is listening. Um, <laughs> well, what are some things as, as, as y'all read through the comic that, you know, we talked about a lot of the things that we did like, and, and John, you mentioned one of the things you didn't. Was there anything else that kind of stood out to you as you were reading it, and you're like, I think I would have changed this or, or moved this around or done this differently? Well, you know, I think, you know, they, they do, you know, they only have four issues to tell the story, and I, that was one of the things I was kind of disappointed. I would have, I would have, you know, in some ways this could be, you, they could have done this in a way like they do with the Star Wars comics. They could have done this as a monthly you know, and it could have ran a few years because I would imagine there are many interesting stories. So sometimes it feels rushed. You know, I would have liked to see more development of Marla. She doesn't really uh, serve a purpose too much other than the one we already discussed. I would have liked to have seen more of that, you know, Tomas's attitude about, you know, she isn't one of us to see how did these people treat her who are, who think of themselves as superior. How do they treat her knowing they can't, do too much to her because she's Khan's wife, but you know they 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 don't they may not respect her. They may see her as a lower form, and, and so I think there were a lot of you know had they gone maybe six issues, they could have gone into that a little bit more. Um, I, and I would have liked to have seen that. It did it did feel a little bit rushed. And if there was really and, and as if there and if there was only one story, you know, it was like an A story, and they weren't able to do as many B story type diversions. Um, as much as I would have liked that, I think really would add to where you, where you get that, say, in the Countdown comic, you know, where you've got 
the main story, but there's this sort of subtext of these other stories going on within that. And and I that's what I kind of I would have hoped for for here. Although I you know I'm certainly satisfied with what we got and, and thrilled that we got anything like this at all. Yeah, there's an opportunity here. You said they could have done this as a monthly, and maybe if they did it as a monthly, they could have explored this. Although in a comic, I don't know how much they would really be able to explore it. But after the group split and Tomas and his group go to the cave, uh, I, it would have been interesting to see that play out longer and be able to see the different attitudes that uh, Khan and his group and Tomas and his group have towards their situation, towards Kirk, towards Starfleet. See that play out a little bit more uh, because you only get it a little bit and then you have the, you know, it all comes to a head. And of course, Khan prevails and, spoiler alert, and that's an opportunity. Whoa, whoa, what? <laughs> Khan prevails? Yes, yes he did. Oh, dang it, That's Chris. why it was not the wrath of Tomas. <laughs> I hadn't finished the last issue. That's what this comic explains because I've, I've always wondered why they didn't make Star Trek II the, the Wrath of Tomas, and now I know. Because he was such an important character in Space Seed. There was right. a scene... Oh, wait, no, never mind. Well, there are, all those, <laughs> there are all those memos bouncing around that you've read, right, about how... Oh, the Tomas, they were, yeah. They yeah. were going yeah. to make it about him, yeah. And then eventually he just wound up as a character that's on the Botany Bays. He's waking up everybody and going down the line and patting them on the back. He's like around the corner. You can't, you can see like a shoe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in the background. I mean, I guess in some ways that that may also be part of that. I mean, if they wanted to go, it would have maybe been interesting if the guy who betrayed him was Yalcum, uh, with mm-hmm. an N from Space Seed, and his son, Yalcum with an M, stays with Khan. And that's why Khan feels like that is his son. I mean, there, there, it might have been a little more interesting if it wasn't just sort of the guy you know from the beginning. You know, he's the Valeris of the story, right? I mean, uh, uh, you know, you knew Valeris was the bad guy because she was the only new character. And and you knew, right. you know that Tomas is the one who's going to cause problems because he's the one from the start going, I don't like this, you know. And uh, so, I mean, that might have been an interesting surprise to do uh, you know, they went a different direction and basically saying that they are the same characters of Yalcum and Yalkin, but Oh, I thought you were gonna suggest that it was kind of like a SETI Alpha Witness Protection Program. And when he changed his name, <laughs> he just changed it from Yakin to Yakim. Like on The Simpsons yeah. when Homer went into the Witness Protection Program and he changed his name to Homer Thompson. Yeah. So that no one would figure out who he was. <laughs> It's like it's yeah, like putting your kids on it's like putting your kids on Tatooine <laughs> to hide them from a guy right. who was raised on Tatooine. <laughs> well, he'd never want to go back there again. I mean, come on. No, we're going to look right under your nose. One of the th- one of the things that I I thought was really interesting. One just the thing that I liked that I didn't mention before was um, I like that it does what I do get it from this comic from Marla, and what I think she does for Khan is that one Kirk has taught. Khan that humanity is better than he thought it was at least this one man and at least this one woman is better than he thought humanity was as well so for me the beginning part when I when we were talking about how does why does Khan kind of feel this way uh, about Kirk and, and just in general about Marla there's something about these people that he's seen greatness in 
and they don't have to be genetically engineered to have that. I thought that was really interesting, and it, it really drove, I think, uh, some interesting character development for Khan uh, at the beginning and, and throughout the storyline. I really liked that. Um, for me, the, the, reading this again, the thing that I was caught by is that Tomas has no answer for Khan at all. Like, he doesn't have a better idea because he never gives a better idea. He's just the guy who is going to get killed at the end of the comic. Um, and so I would have liked for them to extrapolate a little bit more from him what his plan was other than just saying we need to do something that Khan isn't doing, but he never says what that thing is. And it doesn't really set, I think, um, the the dichotomy between the two for people to choose to either be on his side or Khan's side either. Um, and I, I found that really the weakest part of the comic for me. But in a way it's realistic because in society now you have, it's very common that you have one person, a very outspoken person or, or a group of people who are absolutely opposed to what's taking place right now and what leadership is doing to the point where they'll actually rebel in this way, but yet they actually don't have any better plan themselves. It's just they're frustrated with the situation and they're going to act out, but they really don't know where they're going or what they're going to do if they do get their way, if they're successful. So, I mean, and that's what he does here. So in that sense, it is realistic, I think, that you would still have someone like that. may not be the best storytelling device for a four-issue comic. Yeah, I like the scene where he, they even say something like, Khan is... Khan is starting to do what you want, you know, he's starting to take action, and his response is, but it's not fast enough, you know, so, I mean, he, he really doesn't have an answer, you know, he, 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 right. he's just angry and frustrated, mm -hmm. and, yeah, I did, I did think about that this time, when I read the comic, I did not, I did not think about that the first time, but I did think about the fact that he does remind me of, of, of sort of the complainer who, um, you know, is maybe rightly frustrated, but you know, it's it, you have that. Well, what what do you suggest we do? What well, what would you like me to do? That's different, and they don't have an answer. They'll just say well, anything but this, right? Well, and that goes to what you were saying, Chris. Um, is that you know we do see this politically on both sides. You know, people just yelling back and forth at each other, but nobody really has a better idea or is willing to do what needs to be really done to to get things done because it might be unpopular on both sides again so yeah we this is something we do see and it it's i like that you know even just talking about this this comic here we get the ability to um and think about some of these issues um you know it goes to show i think the the strength on a whole of this comic that it's a really well told story it really does bring something to the table we haven't seen or known about Khan before. And to me, now when I watch uh, The Wrath of Khan, it, it does add to another layer that I'll really appreciate uh, as I watch the film. So uh, just, Chris, what are your final thoughts uh, for the comic? Pretty much what you just said. Um, I mean, I think it's a very good comic series and... It is one of those where having read it when you watch the movie, you, you can keep all this in the back of your mind as to what has happened 
up to that point. And apart from, you know, a couple of little plot elements, uh, and we've discussed what they did to Marla quite a bit, that may not mesh completely with the film. You know, for the most part, I think it meshes fine with the film. And, and it adds something to the viewing experience, which is great because, again, when you've watched that movie so many times, if you can find some new element to add to the experience for the, you know, 47th time that you've watched the movie, then that's, that's great. So I really enjoyed it, and, and I like the artwork as well, and the writing is, is good as well. Well, John, what did you think too? And and normally as well, uh, we haven't given our ratings yet, but we also try to give uh, some kind of rating. So, uh, what did you think in general, uh, overall, and uh, as a, as a recommend as well? And and what would you rate it? Well, I'd say I'd I'd give it uh, I'd give it four eels uh, out of four. Uh, if we're going to do eels as the rating, um, <laughs> you know, I. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I really like it. I, you know, I, I just, first of all, just as a comic, the art in both inside and the covers, the covers by um, Michael Stribling are, I think they're beautiful. I mean, they, they would, I would love to have them as posters, you know, um, especially the, the like the fourth cover issues. I mean, they're just, they're really beautiful. Um, and the art is great, as you had said. Uh, to her and and you know it's it's a really good comic it's so as a comic book in and of itself where you would look at things like art and storytelling and everything even apart from wrath of khan uh it's a good comic book and i'd really recommend it it's you know for anybody who loves wrath of khan or space seed you know i can't imagine not reading this to me it almost feels like it it will it will enhance and improve the experience of watching those two things, and it will add so much more to it, give you new things to think about, and um, and even if you don't necessarily agree or, or or like everything that's in there, I don't think you anybody would walk away dissatisfied from this who who like Wrath of Khan, who you know Wrath of Khan's their favorite. Um, the other thing I I just like to say is I, I, one of the things I I love about Space Seed and Wrath of Khan is just how it never goes away. Um, you know, uh, there's still toys coming out. They they just announced the new con bobblehead that's coming out. Right. Um, you, you can make a con finger puppet in the new craft book. The, uh, the I think it's um the there were like two posters this pa- this past year, two or three posters uh, yeah. this past year that they released. Uh, there's a new action figure set coming out from IDW. I mean, it just it, I mean it's a it's a almost 50 year old. Um, episode and 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 you know the movie itself is thirty years old now and I, and I and I think it speaks a lot to how great a character Khan is. Um, Don't forget still, the new Khan flakes that are coming out. the The breakfast cereal that shaped <laughs> those are like so these, good. After he rips the Starfleet insignia off of the ship and makes a necklace out of it, that the flakes are shaped like that. Yeah, you can you can uh, order that on the back of the box if you save uh, uh, four three proofs of purchase. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah and, exactly. and and Ricardo Montalban they could have they could have had him do the commercials too. Cause you could talk about crunchy. <laughs> <laughs> if you remember the old uh, SCTV skit uh, with Ricardo Montalban, but you know I, uh, I I you know what I like is that the quality of all the con things that come out I'm generally very happy with, and this this is one of those. That adds to it, you know. I I love the Greg Cock books. I love. I thought these were some of IDW's best 
Star Trek comics. So um, I'd certainly recommend it to anybody who loves these characters. And Chris, if you were going to uh, give it a rating, what would you give it? Um, I'm going to give it, well, John gave it four eels. So I'm going to give it one mother eel because that's, I think, the highest rating that I can give it is yeah. one mother eel. It's the mother of all ratings, apparently. So Apparently, yes. <laughs> well, you know, I guess that I'm going to go in a little bit different direction, um, but I'm going to give this 10 out of 10 bodysuits, mesh bodysuits, um, highest rating that you could give this comic. And, uh, and so I, I think it's definitely worth the purchase, you know, go find this. Uh, it's on Comixology. I think they're dull and around United piece. It's not a big deal. Um, but they really are fantastic and you will not regret having this as part of your library. So, uh, and it's a must, I think for any Star Trek fan, anyone who enjoys Space Seed and Wrath of Khan, which I think every Star Trek fan does. But John, uh, I wanted to have you tell uh, all the listeners, one, where they can find you on the internet and uh, about where they might be able to find your research and the uh, the talks that you give about that. Tell us where the listeners can find that. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah, r- real fast about the costumes. I just want to say if you're ever bored uh, to see the genius of William Ware Thice, um, and uh, who created the costumes for Spacey, because Khan has more costume changes than any other guest star, male guest star in Star Trek. And, but his cost, uh, the, the little costume that he wears where there's almost nothing there, the mesh, the, the circles that are on there carry through the other costumes. So if you look at his red outfit, it's got the little circles on it. And if you look at that gold suit he wears, it's, it's, it's made of like those same type of chains. So it's kind of a fun thing. If, it's a uh, fun thing to look for. But um Please, uh, you could, anyone can get in touch with me at jtenuto on Twitter. It's just J-T-E-N-U-T-O. And um, we're actually, my wife and I are going to be giving a talk on Space Seed on May 18th, which is the weekend the movie opens, um, at 2 o'clock at the Warren Newport Library. And uh, it's a free talk. Um, it's at two o'clock and it's going to last about two hours and we have really wonderful pictures to show, including deleted scenes from space seeds Some pictures of that. Um, and behind the scenes photos of the, of the filming of the botany Bay and also of the filming of the episode. And we go through the whole making of the episode and, um, people it's free, but uh, people need to register at the library for it. So if you just go to the library's website, it's www. Uh, a WNPL for Warren Newport Public Library dot info and uh, just register and uh, be great to, to meet any anybody who listened to the podcast. And uh, we're also going to be giving a brand new talk, which is going to be the first time we're doing it uh, on the making of Wrath of Khan with a whole bunch of brand new pictures that have never been seen before um, for the creation convention that is in Rosemont, Illinois uh, at the very end of May into June. And we're going to be giving three different talks. One is on the history of the collectibles for Deep Space Nine. Another one is we're going to be doing the Spacey talk in a little shorter form, but we're going to be doing the talk there. And then we're also going to be doing the talk, um, a brand new talk on the making of Wrath of Khan with about 150 pictures, um, most of which have never been seen before. So that's that should be a lot of fun. And John, I was going to ask you: any chance that uh, any of that material is going to get turned into um, a, a book 
that uh, you know fans could could read? Well, I, I, you know, from your mouth to John Van Sitter's ears uh, at CVS, uh, I would love to. You know, um, I, I, I'm ready. Um, uh, I would just need to be asked. Certainly, the photos are, in my, you know, they, they belong to UCLA, University of Iowa, Nicholas Meyer, uh, CBS, um, and so if I got permission from them. Um, I would certainly do that. The you know the the anniversary of Star the 50th anniversary of Star Trek is coming up. Uh, it's an important episode. It was in very early in its production, so there's a lot of great information about it. You know, Spock cheated at chess in the original version of the script. I mean, just great stuff <laughs> like that. Um, you know, because the characters weren't set yet. So um, you know, I think there's a lot of story. There's there's a lot there. There's never really been a very detailed look at the making of a Star Trek episode, a single episode before. Um, and really, Wrath of Khan, while it's it's been pretty well documented, uh, not necessarily from the angle of what all the different artists brought to it, all the people who worked behind the scenes. So I um, I would love to, um, to do that. And, um, you know, I, I've started to ask some questions about that and also... Um, uh, you know, would love to do it, and you know, I would do it as a as a matter of course. You know, it's not anything I would want to make profit off of. I really think fans. I, I would love to show this stuff to every fan who wants to see it, which is why I do the free library talks. I think this is an important part of Star Trek history, and I would love to do to do this project. Um, so I hope someday that that we can do that and show this to anybody who can't that I can't get to or can't get to one of these talks. Yeah, I hope that happens. That's great. Uh, they um, J.W. Rinsler uh, does that for has been doing that for the Star Wars films, the f- first three original. In fact, um, the Return of the Jedi, the making of, comes out, and they're this great coffee size table books, and they're huge. Um, the and they're you know comprehensive. So I'm thinking I just would love to have you know a space seed version of that. And then a Wrath of Khan version of that, and I, I could see that because it gives you the the room to put the artwork in and everything. And so, I really do hope they let you do this because I would snatch that up in a second as a fan. Um, because, like you said, this is stuff that is 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 kind of priceless that not a lot of fans have gotten to know this unless they've talked to you or have seen one of your talks. And uh, you know, I know for myself, not living near where you are. Um, it, it's it would be hard to to get to that, but it'd be awesome to be able to get to sit on the couch and you know read through these stories. So thank you so much for sharing that with us tonight. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's a really wonderful. You know, uh, it, it, you know, fifty years is a long time, and one of the things that is unfortunate. Some of the questions we had in our research. You know, you you can't ask Gene Roddenberry anymore. You can't ask Ricardo Montalban. You know, uh, you can't ask James Doohan and. Uh, you know, some of these really talented people are no longer with us, and and even though the ones who are there, you know, sometimes the you know, it, it's work, you know, for them. So the, the 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 things that we're excited about that was a day of work, and they they may have forgotten, you know, what that day of work was like. I, I would hate to th- have someone ask me what was work like 30 years ago. You know, uh, what'd you do on this day as a teacher? You know, 30 years ago. And so, you know, I, I, th- we're really running out of time to preserve a lot of this history um, and to do the interviews and everything like that. So uh, um, I would love to be able to share that with people. And I appreciate you letting me talk about it tonight on, on, on your show. 
Oh, it's always a pleasure to hear this background information from you, John. Thanks, guys. Thanks, John. Have a good night. Well, Matthew, it was so much fun having our own little comic con for three today with John and talking about con ruling in hell. And it's just a very interesting story. And and we managed to not really get into the whole how, you know, Harrison is kind kind of thing. Yeah, which was interesting, especially with having John on and uh, getting to talk through that. And I I know that John has some great theories right now uh, about who... Uh, John Harrison is in the new film and how he probably is con and I've I've heard leaks that um, somebody who's already seen the film that he is uh, yeah, you know I, I don't care yeah. um, I, I I think from everything we've seen this film even if he is con is so completely different there's no comparison right. between Maltabon and, and Cumberbatch other than the fact that they both have crazy ass last names <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I don't care if it's Khan. I mean, it's a very different story. And so, hey, that's fine. You know, things play out differently in that other universe. But uh, but it was great fun today talking about these comics and, and definitely encourage everyone to pick these up if you haven't read them because they are really good comics and they do fill in a gap in the story. And uh, they will enrich your viewing of The Wrath of Khan the next time you watch it. So uh, So check those out. But Matthew, for now, let's tell everyone where they can find us if they'd like to share their thoughts on Con Ruling in Hell or anything else that we talked about in news today. Maybe they want to talk about busts with us. I don't know. You can do it over <laughs> You can do it over on our forums at trek.afilm slash forums. There's an area for literary treks. There's a one for books and comics. Uh, there's not one for busts yet, but you never know what might be coming up. And you can certainly start a conversation on that if you like. You can also go to trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there and you can send us a message and that'll come to Matthew and me by email. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. And of course, you can find us on Twitter under username trek.fm. Now, Matthew, what if people want to talk to you personally? Well, if you'd like to do that, um, you can find me on Twitter at mattrushing02. Of course, do the book reviews as well. Here on Trek FM, uh, we'll soon be doing the book review for the audiobook with Alice Eve. And then, of course, uh, doing the orb with you, Chris, where we talk all things Deep Space Nine. So maybe you uh, haven't gotten into Deep Space Nine yet, or maybe you're a huge fan. This is definitely the show for you. Chris, uh, if somebody wanted to find you on the Internet, where would they find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. My username is C Brian Jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y. And you can find me pretty much anywhere in social media under that username. And you can find me elsewhere here on the network, besides the orb, doing the Ready Room every week, where we talk about all five live-action Star Trek series, uh, also the movies and occasionally other topics. A lot of Star Trek news, a mix of humor and serious discussion, and often Matthew, you're there with me as well. So check that out at trek.fm slash TRR. And we'd also like to thank everyone who has given us a rating or a written review in iTunes. And if you haven't and you like the show, we encourage you to go over and leave us a rating and review. We love to hear from you and it does help other people find the show as well. And lastly, Matthew, we'd like to invite everyone to support our sponsor, Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com slash trek and use offer code TREK5 
to save 10% on your lifetime purchase on new accounts. Of the best platform for building a website, a blog, a portfolio, or an online store, you'll absolutely love it, and it helps us bring this programming to you every week. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.